you're listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients, Oh My. I'm Pyle Manavati, the host for today's episode. And on today's episode, we're going to talk to Joe Records about recent enforcement activity impacting payers under the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, or MAPIA. As many of our listeners likely know, MAPIA, at a high level, attempts to ensure that mental health and substance use disorder coverage is in parity with medical and surgical coverage. Because of recent federal legislation, both federal and state agencies have taken a renewed interest in insurance companies' compliance with MAPIA. Joe, to start us off, can you tell us how enforcement under MAPIA is structured? Sure, Pyle. And and first of all, let me say it's uh, great to be back in the studio uh, here with you, uh, especially after such a, a hiatus as we've had. Um, MAPIA is a federal statute that regulates health coverage, I'm specifically using the word coverage here because it's not it's not just insurance. Um, MAPIA, as as many federal um, payer related healthcare regulations. Uh, and regulatory statutes do, it covers uh, insurance as well as ERISA or self-funded ERISA plans. So health coverage is is generally subject to the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act by uh, ERISA as well as by Title 27 of the uh, Public Health Service Act as a matter of federal law. Um, as you know, a, a lot of federal law is implemented and enforced by the states, especially um, when it comes to Title 27 of the Public Health Service Act. Um, 46 states and D.C. are the primary enforcement um, entities for the insurance requirements under Title 27, which means that the state departments of insurance are the front line for implementing MAPIA as it applies to health insurance um, most of the time. And that's done based on federal regulations as well as based on um, state benefit mandates and, and state parity laws, of which there are a number. Okay, and I want to focus most of our conversation today on the recent enforcement of MAPIA. But before we move to that, could you just tell us a little bit about the history of enforcement under MAPIA? Happy to. Um, the history of MAPIA is, well, I think it's interesting. Uh, it was enacted in 2008, uh, the Mental Health Parity, the Paul Wellstone and Pete Domenici Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act of 2008. Um, and the departments of Health and Human Services, Labor, and the Treasury, um, known in short as the tri-agencies or sometimes the tri-departments, um, generally are the three agencies responsible for, for um, regulatory oversight of health coverage. Um, they issued a, an interim final rule in February of 2010, um, which, which, as you know, happens to be about six weeks before the Affordable Care Act was enacted on March 23rd of 2010. Okay, so stakeholders had very little time to gain familiarity with the MAPIA regulations before the ACA introduced many new statutory requirements to the industry. That's exactly right. And, and the Affordable Care Act, I'd say it really took the, took the air out of the room in terms of the, the resources and capacity available for MAPIA implementation and enforcement. Um, so the, the new and, and I think really ambitious regulatory scheme set forth in the MAPIA IFR, which, which introduced for the first time the concept of a non-quantitative treatment limitation or an NQTL, which we'll talk about at some length here. Um, that was brand new. And then, um, and then immediately the Affordable Care Act um, came into existence. So the MAPIA statute sets forth the, the general framework of um, parity when it comes to financial requirements as well as treatment limitations. 
Um, that's the the proxy that the statute sets forth to determine whether whether coverage of mental health and substance use disorder benefits is in parity with coverage of medical surgical benefits. So the statute breaks the framework into financial requirements and treatment limitations. The regulation goes one step further by breaking treatment limitations into quantitative treatment limitations and non-quantitative treatment limitations. Um, quantitative treatment limitations are measurable and are are subject to the same types of restrictions as financial requirements. By contrast, non-quantitative treatment limitations are, as the name suggests, inherently more difficult to measure. Uh, so the, the regulation, the IFR, for the first time set forth the requirement that uh, the processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, and other factors used to apply a non-quantitative treatment limitation to behavioral health benefits must be comparable to and applied no more stringently than the processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, and other factors used to apply that non-quantitative treatment limitation to medical surgical benefits. So can you talk just a little bit more about recent enforcement of the NQTL framework that was introduced in the 2010 IFR? Sure. So, so in 2010, we, we um, met the term NQTL. Um, and then very recently, in December of 2020, um, federal law was, uh, MAPIA, the, the MAPIA statute was amended by the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, the CAA. Uh, to include a specific NQTL um, comparative analysis requirement. So over the course of the past 10 years, uh, federal regulators and state regulators have, have kind of grappled with how do, how do they enforce and, and uh, make sure that plans and issuers are complying with the NQTL requirement that is by its nature so amorphous. Um, and and part of that involves asking for freeform explanations from uh, plans and issuers as to how how their NQTLs apply uh, based on the plan or issuer's own analysis of its um, or its own records of the way that it basically manages care. There's a, a new requirement as of uh, the CAA that requires plans and issuers to formally to perform comparative analyses of NQTLs to, to confirm uh, that those NQTLs are, are applied consistently with the, the NQTL requirement. Um, the requirement that the processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, and other factors um, are comparable and applied no more stringently. So, so more recently, over the course of the the summer, the spring, uh, summer, and and into fall now of um, of 2021, the the federal regula regulators have taken major steps to request, as is their charge under the the statutory amendment, to request that plans and issuers submit to CMS as well as the Department of Labor their uh, their comparative analyses of their NQTLs. And has has been taking the the departments have been taking a, a close look at the ways that plans and issuers analyze their NQTLs and and asking a lot of questions of um, of national as well as regional plans and issuers about the implementation of their their processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, and other factors to to seek confirmation that that the NQTL regulatory requirements are being followed. 
So it sounds like the agencies are starting to look closely and asking a lot of questions um, more broadly, but what specifically are we seeing in their requests? Well, the, the amendment from the, the MAPIA amendment in the CAA contemplates a, a process of inquiring and then following up and then, and then ultimately coming to an initial determination as well as potentially a final determination. And I'll just go through those steps. So um, plans and issuers are, are now required by statute to perform and document comparative analyses. Um, upon request, uh, the departments are, are basically they'll send a letter to a planner issuer saying, please give us your NQTL comparative analyses for the following handful of NQTLs. Um, so you might see, uh, give us information about your, your concurrent review NQTL, including the comparative analysis that you are required to have performed and documented under the statute. Um, those requests come with extremely aggressive um, deadlines of, of one week, and those are um, sometimes extendable by uh, a short amount, maybe another week, maybe another 10 days, but those requests have been um, on a very rapid turnaround. So plans and issuers um, typically respond either in, in one phase or in two phases to those requests. Um, providing comparative analyses, backup documentation, and um, explanations of the ways that NQTLs apply. The, the next step that the statute contemplates is that there be a, a follow-up, some sort of an informal follow-up to clarify the comparative analyses. And although that's not on any kind of specific time frame, we've seen those requests also be subject to very tight time frames of um, a week to 10 days, sometimes extendable by a week to 10 days. And, and those requests, um, in our experience, have been extremely detailed um, and, and not easy questions to answer. And, and in some cases, sort of difficult to link the existing MAPIA guidance with the requests that the agencies are, are making. If, based on the initial response to the government's inquiry and any follow-up responses to uh, more detailed questions, a planner issuer is not able to um, convince the government that the NQTLs are being implemented in a way that is consistent with MAPIA requirements, there would be, the, the statute contemplates an initial determination of noncompliance with a 45-day time period during which the planner issuer can um, implement a corrective action plan to address the shortcoming, whatever it is, um, in the NQTL comparative analyses that the government has reviewed. If at the end of that 45-day period, the planner issuer has, um, has failed to correct the issue or failed to sort of uh, come to agreement on what the appropriate corrective action plan would be, then the government would make a, a final determination of noncompliance, uh, which triggers a seven-day time period during which the planner issuer must notify all members in the affected coverage that they are out of compliance. And then that also would result in the government including that planner issuer in a report to Congress that will be due this year on December 27th and in later years every October 1st. Okay, so that's a helpful breakdown of kind of what we're seeing in the agency's request and then the process following their initial requests 
all the way to kind of this ultimate report that's going to be submitted to Congress. But just to kind of clarify there, it, it sounds like these are pretty quick deadlines. Are those set by statute or is that just something we're seeing the agencies impose in practice? It's the latter. Um, they're they're not set. The seven day to ten day deadlines have not been set by statute. I think the reason they are so tight is that for one thing, each of the departments is required to send out a certain number of comparative analysis requests each year, including this year. And in addition to that, each of the departments is required to submit a report to Congress of the work that it's done in response to the CAA amendments. So counting back from December 27th and realizing that there are several phases to the process of getting from initial comparative analysis inquiry to ultimately report to Congress that needs to be prepared no later than, than the end of the year, I think the government set very fast timeframes because they would need to receive information to be order in order to be able to digest it and to uh, evaluate the implementation of plans and issuers and QTLs um, in order to be able to to make final determinations and in order to be able to prepare that report to Congress on time. Gotcha. So as you mentioned earlier, before the CAA revisions states were kind of taking this primary role in enforcing the PIA. But what has the role of states been since the CAA was enacted? No, I think the role of states has not changed much under the CAA, but but states still have a very significant portion of the responsibility as it relates to health insurance specifically. States have always held the primary role of of performing market conduct exams for, for issuers in their markets. And we've seen that as the basically the way the the method by which states have reviewed and um, enforced uh, MAPIA requirements, including as it relates to NQTLs, the states are are not required to submit comparative analysis requests under the CAA. They're not you know they're not federal agencies that are directly subject to uh, congressional uh, oversight, but they continue to do so as the way that they implement um, MAPIA in their insurance markets. Um, and we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of even prior to the CAA requests that sort of look like comparative analysis requests, where it's been considered a best practice sometimes that uh, health insurance issuers analyze their own NQTLs and kind of do internal audits of their application in order to make sure that the requirements of MAPIA are met. And that's the that's where the states have gotten involved. Uh, in in reviewing via market conduct exam the the coverage the insurance coverage that issuers offer in their state in, inside the state. So based on our experiences helping plans and issuers respond to these new requests from the federal agencies, it'd be great to hear what 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 our experience is in terms of what the agencies are looking for in the plans and issuers' responses to these requests. Sure, and I think to some extent, we've seen federal enforcement really stepped up uh, this year. But to some extent, the the work that plans and well, is that health insurance issuers have done in responding to market conduct exams at the state level um, has served as kind of a roadmap for for how to perform comparative analyses, um, how to to dig in on on issues related to the application of NQTLs. Um, and then how to how to present that information to 
regulators in a straightforward way that demonstrates compliance. Um, so that's that's definitely um, that's something that we are that we are considering and, and something that we're aware of as we're responding to federal agencies that in in many ways the work that we've been doing with with state regulatory agencies really informs um, the process because the substance of the NQTL requirement is the same with the state and federal uh, oversight agencies. And am I right that because of the fast timing of this entire enforcement activity, um, as set out in the statute, you know, ultimately resulting in the report to Congress at the end of this calendar year, um, that there hasn't been, you know, any regulations or any guidance issued by the agencies about what specifically they're expecting in the responses to their requests? Unfortunately, Pyle, you are right. I think plans and issuers um, and certainly their lawyers are are clamoring for clearer guidance as to what the agencies are requiring and and how to satisfy their requests for information. Um, the the statute, the CAA amendments to MAPIA does contemplate that there will be additional regulatory action, that there will be additional guidance, um, but we haven't really seen that yet. There's an FAQ that came out in early April trying to to put some some color as to how plans and issuers can respond to governmental inquiries as to their comparative analyses and what those comparative analyses should include. But it's it's not as detailed as the questions that that plans and issuers are receiving from the government. And and I think to a great extent, unfortunately, it's still an open question just how it is that a plan or issuer can conclusively demonstrate compliance with the, again, vague and amorphous um, and, and very process-oriented substantive NQTL requirement. And what are the potential repercussions for plans if they do end up having an unsuccessful finding as a result of the review? That is a good question. Initially, at least, um, it's it's just a... Uh, the the remedy is just disclosure. So a planner issuer would re- be required to notify members in the affected coverage um, of the, the determination of noncompliance, and then there would be uh, a note about the planner issuer in in whatever in the department's report to Congress at the end of the year. What's not clear is is how these comparative analyses and the determinations that are made based on them will influence um, further further action, further enforcement and compliance action, um, either at the state or federal level, level. That if there's a finding of non-compliance, whether there would subsequently be a market conduct exam based on the affected coverage or um, or a lawsuit or, or otherwise any kind of enforcement or compliance um, inquiry or subpoena or audit. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's a background issue that plans and issuers are considering right now that has not yet been answered or, or clearly resolved. Wow. Okay. So in the first instance, we know that there might be a notification and a disclosure to plan to members of the plan and inclusion on a report to Congress, which already seems like big state, but that it's still an open question as to what else may happen. Like you said, I think this is a, a big issue for many plans and issuers, and it's something that we are going to continue to monitor. And so thank you so much for sharing your insights in this area. Thank you, Pyle.
Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My is a podcast brought to you by Kroll and Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast. Thank you.